paging the Dr. Johns. You're needed in the ER immediately. Dr. John. What is it, Dr. John? Looks like we've got another flop. Do we have a reading on its beats? Negative. Let's check its vitals. Concept. A check. Plot. A check. Structure. Uh, I mean, it's there. Um, what about characters? Check. Dialogue? Check. What about its theme? Uh, yeah, about that. Well, let's fix it. But first... Welcome to the Script Doctors Podcast, where each week we take on a new patient, a movie script, or a TV show in an attempt to diagnose script diseases we found within them and suggest our own prescriptions on how we'd fix them. I'm Dr. John Cooper. And I'm Dr. John Akawi. And we are... The Script Doctors. We are not medical doctors. Therefore, any medical advice we give can and should be deemed as false. We are script doctors, graduates of the UCLA Screenplay Medical School, and therefore are only qualified to give medical advice on movie and TV scripts. All scripts are wonderful in their own way, and each has redeeming qualities. Our diagnoses and prescriptions are purely based on story and merely suggestions of what we would have done differently to make the story better in our eyes. Please consult with us, your script doctors, before submitting to any competitions or big name Hollywood producers or agencies. Hi, I am Dr. John Akawi. And I'm Dr. John Cooper. And we are the Script Doctors. That's right. <laughs> what up? Welcome, everyone. Welcome. This will be a very fun show about us script doctoring. I guess you could use that as a verb. Yeah, I, I think now it officially is a verb. Because there we, we go. <laughs> We've coined it. We've coined it. Uh, what up? Well, should we tell the listeners and the viewers how we got here? Why? I think that's a great idea, Dr. John. Well, Dr. John, I am a actor, screenwriter, potential filmmaker, stand-up comic. I do some versions of drag. It's great. It's great. But at the essence, I really love to just storytell and make people feel things. How about you, Dr. John? Yeah, no, I very similarly, I got my start in acting, uh, but very quickly transitioned into screenwriting because I too love storytelling and I've been obsessed with it ever since. And so here we are now having met each other at the professional uh, UCLA program for screenwriting, yes, right? Yes. How long was that? Two, three years ago? Almost going to be three years ago. Oh my goodness. We're old. old. <laughs> We're so old. Getting gray hairs. Uh, don't, don't remind me. Do you see my beard? No. <laughs> yeah, it's been three years and we got to see one another develop our own scripts. Mm-hmm. And we've kind of blossomed into a creative partnership i don't know if you call that but you know (laughs) i I would i mean it all started when uh we we joined teams joined forces kind of to create uh season three of cooper home entertainment's original web series coping with normal yes and we just vibed so well we've always been looking for a project to team up on and this is the one this is the one one where we're both equal bosses that's right i'm no longer your boss (laughs) Which, yes, yes. And so- This is so much better to be equals. Right, for once. And we have the same title in this one, Dr. John Cooper and Dr. John Akawi, rather than showrunner John Cooper and assistant staff writer John Akawi. I'm just kidding. You were were the highest position possible in that writer's room and you know it. I know, I know. (laughs) What can I say? (laughs) Well, should we just dive into our show? I mean- Let's, let's just dive right in. I think everybody's ready. I know enough now. Let's get into it. Well, how about we start it off with a little screenwriting word of the day, just so we can educate our viewers. I mean, pure genius, pure genius. Cause that's one of the things we want to do. We want to educate as well as entertain. 
Exactly, exactly. And we thought we'd start out with a very easy term or terms, really. Uh, protagonist and antagonist. Dr. John, can you please tell me what a protagonist is? I would love to. According to our definitions, we've got a protagonist is the main character of a story. The protagonist makes key decisions that affect the plot, primarily influencing the story and propelling it forward. And is often the character who faces the most significant obstacles. Wonderful, wonderful. And the opposite of that would be the antagonist, who is a character in a story who is presented as the chief foe of the protagonist, normally always getting in the way of what the protagonist's objective is most of the time. That's right. another, another good way to remember these characters are that the protagonist is known as the central character, mm-hmm. sometimes also called the pivotal character, and the antagonist is the opposition character, as I was saying earlier. <laughs> <laughs> That, that, that's right. And the thing to keep in mind, I think a lot of people, when they hear protagonist and antagonist is they think, oh, protagonist is the good guy and antagonist is the villain. Not always true. As we've kind of just laid out here, a protagonist is simply the central character, the one who's driving the action, the one who the movie is focused on. But sometimes they can be a villain. Yes. So it's, it wouldn't be accurate to label that the protagonist is always the good guy. Although often an antagonist is a villain, especially in superhero movies which is important today. (laughs) Why is that? Are we talking about um, and trying to doctor some script uh, superhero movies? Maybe that that could be a thing. Well, I guess we should just get right into it. Uh, Let's let's do it. (laughs) Today, we're going to be talking about uh, the Spider-Mans, right? We love a good Spider-Man. We really do. Uh, Love them. They're they're amazing. But these two in particular, the movies... (laughs) We do adore them for what they are, but some things could have been fixed. That's right. And, and as is what we're doing on this, you know, on this show, we are taking movies, any movies really, the worst of the worst, sometimes even the best of the best, and we want to fix them because no movie is perfect mm-hmm. and there's always something that could have been better. And movies have a lot more potential than people realize, especially these two. We're going to be looking at Spider-Man 3 um, by Sam Raimi. And The Amazing Spider-Man 2 by Mark Webb. That's right. I'm glad that you had that second one because I completely blanked <laughs> on The Amazing Spider-Man 2. So I'm so glad you no, had, had that. I had to look right it up now. because I was like, I only know the current trilogy's director and the previous <laughs> trilogy, the first one. So um, yeah, we thought we'd get right on the, um, I don't want to say the ending because Spider-Man No Way Home is still in theaters, but kind of that hype of Spider-Man and kind of look at the two other versions of Spider-Man that exist who also, spoiler, are in Spider-Man No Way Home, as well as some of the um, villains. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It seems like it would tie in really well as people are going to that movie and seeing, oh, who is this villain again? Who's who's this guy again? People who haven't, you know, grown up during the how long has it been? Like a decade long run of different Spider-Mans. Two at this point. Yeah, it's 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 insane. So that's what we want to talk about, and we want to start off with uh, Spider-Man Three. Yes. So, Doctor John, can you tell me the synopsis, if you will, of Spider-Man Three? Yeah, I would love to. Uh, so, what we're looking at here in this movie, for those of you who haven't seen it, uh, this movie is about Peter Parker, and he has finally managed to piece together the once broken parts of his life, 
maintaining a balance between his relationship with Mary Jane and his responsibility as Spider-Man. But more challenges arise as Peter's old friend Harry Osborn has set out for revenge against Peter, taking up the mantle of his late father's persona as the new Goblin. If that weren't bad enough, Peter must also find a way to stop his Uncle Ben's real killer, Flint Marco, who has been transformed into, this, into his toughest foe yet, the Sandman. So when Peter bonds with an alien parasite that amplifies his powers, it seems like a godsend. But when the parasite begins to amplify the darker qualities of Peter's personality, he begins to lose himself to it. Peter has to reach deep inside himself to free the compassionate hero he used to be if he's ever going to conquer the darkness within and face not only his greatest enemies, but also himself. Since when did Spider-Man become a telenovela? <laughs> Since this moment right okay. now, right wow, here. That was, I mean, I know I, I've seen the movie multiple times, but just rehearing it, I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot that all happened in the movie. Yeah, no, it's a, and that's one of the reasons we want to, to unpack it, I think, because there's actually a lot more potential to Spider-Man 3 than people give it credit for. Yes, yep. there, there are stuff, there are things, there are elements in there that, that maybe could have been better. Yes. But at its core, that doesn't sound like a terrible movie. No, I mean, it's action-packed. It, it's one that you don't bat an eye. You're just constantly engaged eating your popcorn in the theater at home. So no, yeah, it is a very engaging film. Exactly. So with, with that being said, Dr. John, yes. what, what do you think was, was wrong? With, with Spider-Man 3, what, what went wrong in that movie? Because it does it does many, many things right. And in, in this series, I think we're really going to walk in with that assumption that movies do a lot of things right. Yes. But as doctors, it's our job to find those things that aren't working, find where the sickness is within the movie itself, and, you know, help it get healthy again. And diagnose it. Diagnose it, exactly. <laughs> so what, do you, what, what would you diagnose this uh, this movie with? Well, Dr. John, I think that it suffers from a heavy case of MDP, mm. which is known as the multidramatist personopathy. Basically to say that it suffers from too many characters with too many plot ideas coming in to this one film. That's right. You could also diagnose that as a, a overplotonomy, oh, right? Don't get me started on that disease. <laughs> But yes, can you define what over platon over plata pl Oh <laughs> that word so I flubbed it too. I flubbed it too, Dr. You know, it, it's just sometimes it's just the thing with the medical world, you know. We come up with these terms that it's like no regular layman would know. <laughs> you know what? There's a whole there was a whole course in screenwriting doctor school. I definitely got a C in that class oh. on the pronunciation section. Oh my God, Failed it. which is sad because we're both actors, so we should know. But <laughs> anyways, <laughs> do you mind defining what you just said? Because I can, clearly cannot say it on this first time. I would love to. Overplatonomy is what happens when there is too much plot. There are either too many central plots or too many subplots. Too much is happening for it all to be done effectively. Um, and I say this. Oh, sorry. I, I was saying, especially in a movie setting for like two hours, two and a half hours, you know. Exactly. And I think in this case, we're, we're of the same mind that it could kind of go either way. The symptoms are all very, very similar for these two um, diseases, as it were. Yes. Right. So that's what hopefully when we get into the little a little bit more into the nitty gritty, we'll maybe be able to hash that out a little bit. What is it really suffering from, you know, MDP or over platonomy? 
But that's that's what our that's what our prescriptions are for, right? Yes, on how to fix it. But that's what we're diagnosing Spider-Man three is with after that. So let's talk a little bit about then the, the kind of the symptoms we're seeing. How did, how did you know that it was MDP or overplatonomy? What were kind of the first signs that you, that you noticed in, in the movie? The first signs was the fact that in the first act itself, which I, I clocked in coming in like 40 minutes in, you're introduced to three potential villains, but you also don't know where their story arcs are going. You know, right, right. Uh, I mean, and I don't know if I have to preface this with spoiler alert because there's going to be a lot of spoiler if you haven't seen the movie. But spoiler alert, um, Harry in the beginning he fights with uh, Peter and then gets hit in the head and uh, no, because it, mm-hmm. and then suffers from amnesia. That's right? right. He forgets and stuff. So then you're like, okay, is he not going to be a villain? But then at the same time, you have Marco. Yep, Flint Marco. I blinked on the name. Marco, who <laughs> is coming out of jail, and at the same time, you don't understand who he is for the story per se, but you know, oh, he must be some sort of villain or bad guy because he's escaping from prison, right? Huh? And then there's this, the there's the cute scene with Peter and um, MJ in the oh my gosh, the spider web up in the trees, and then you right. see the crash landing of the symbiote. So you're like, mm-hmm. okay. Something's being introduced into this world, but again, it's not giving you enough context to understand who's the main villain or even what each villain is going to represent for Peter in this film. Right. Uh, fast forward a little bit more. I don't know now at this point with the chronology, but then you also have Gwen Stacy being introduced. Mm-hmm. Eddie Brock being introduced. Is it Eddie Brock? Eddie Brock. That's right. Okay. I was like, is it okay? Eddie Brock being introduced, and you're like, you know, if you know the comic books, you know who these characters are in relationship to maybe the villains, but like Eddie Brock, right? But you're just like, okay, scratching your head like, okay, there's a lot I'm playing with. We're 40 minutes into this film. What is going on? Right. And, that's and the problem, me, like, hmm. yeah, exactly. The problem with it, and you can see it, is you as an audience member don't know what to be afraid of or what to root for because you're pulled in so many directions. You're thinking, okay, like I, I want, I'm, I'm ready as an audience member. I'm ready to root for and dread things. Going into a movie, that's what you do, right? But here you kind of, I mean, you, you dread all three of them in a sense, but you don't know what to gear up for. Yes. Right? Yes. That was kind of what, what I noticed in, in watching this film again was trying to figure out what I was the, supposed to be the most scared about or the most concerned about. Yeah. Especially because the symbiote disappears very quickly. He hops yeah. onto Peter's bike and then isn't seen again until... I think there's a scene after with um, MJ in Peter's room after they break up or something. And then it's like the symbiote's on his desk. And you're like, oh, that's right. The symbiote's in the movie. Like you just forget about it. Mm-hmm. And you, you should never be doing that in a movie. If you're, if you're ever saying, oh yeah, that person exists. Probably need to tweak a few things, right? Especially if they're going to be one of your antagonists. <laughs> Especially if they're going to be one of your antagonists. Yeah. Not to say that these characters shouldn't have been included, although... You know, we'll talk about that in a second when we talk about what what we would prescribe to kind of cure this movie. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they shouldn't be involved in the movie. It just means maybe there was a different way that could have they could have handled them to keep yes. them more central and focused, right? Yes, yes. And I mean, a big spoiler could totally be looking at Spider-Man: No Way Home <laughs> and how they sure. juggle six villains, I believe, in that. But again, that movie would not be able to exist without Spider-Man Three two and one and the amazing spider-man one and two 
and I'm not going to get into that because that's not the point of the episode, but, you know, based on the character development we've seen in these films, you understand where they're being dropped into in No Way Home mm-hmm. and they go forward from there, you know? Exactly. So, um, but yes, that's what I had issues with. Is there something else you wanted to mention about Spider-Man 3? Not, not really. That's kind of, We're kind of uh, of the same mind on that diagnosis, I think. So that being said, what so what do, what do we do to fix it you know what, what's the prescription what are you what are you gonna prescribe for to to fix spider-man 3 and the mdp or over platonomy cancel the film that's it just <laughs> give in to cancel culture and cancel the film no um i uh, i need your your medical license please <laughs> i know um don't call the board up because <laughs> that's not what we're about as script doctors right it's, there's no such thing as condemning a movie no no movie is too bad to be saved. That is the premise that we operate under. That is the the hippo oath that we have taken as script doctors that all movies will be saved. There can be go. saved. There we go. Um, I would just start out with looking at the characters in terms of the antagonists that we have mm-hmm. and looking at their story arc for Spider-Man 3 and understanding, do I need them? Mm. All to say, some characters need to be cut out. <laughs> <laughs> So surgically removing them, as, you know, yeah. would help in your opinion. I mean, Gwen Stacy, for example, she is not an antagonist, but she brought nothing to the story for me personally. I think mm-hmm. if they cut her out from the film and really focused more on Peter's relationship with MJ in this particular film, that would have been better because they kind of basically introduced her to create this love triangle, really, right? Um, and not to fast forward with The Amazing Spider-Man 2, but there were rumors that they were also doing the same sort of thing in that film, just the opposite, right. where it was Gwen Stacy, but then I believe Cheyenne Woodley was supposed to play uh, MJ, but that right. that was cut and we don't need to talk about there. <laughs> but again, like it would have been nice to see it as an emotional storyline for Peter, but at the end of the day, the emotional arc did not deal with MJ, I felt like, because you also had Flint, who the uh-huh. screenwriters, producers, whoever really was, decided to fabricate him as the one who killed Uncle Ben. Right. And that was, I believe, all new scenes filmed because in the first one when he was killed, it was not the same actor, and I'm blanking on who played um, Sandman, but it wasn't him who was seen killing uh, Thomas Hayden Church, was not seen killing Uncle Ben in the first film. However, they do include the original. So the, the premise then in this movie is that, you know, Flint Marco was the the accomplice of the guy who actually shot him and we see it in that flashback where the guy shoots uncle ben gets in the car that then spider-man chases in in episode one and flint marco is actually left behind which is how they kind of retcon thank you right that's the word yeah but i don't think that was necessarily i don't think that was necessary you know fair um because then it kind of took away peter's emotional arc from the whole Gwen Stacy MJ thing to more like I must avenge Uncle Ben's death mm-hmm. because now he knows that I can I have this person that I could totally get rid of and whatnot you know so right. if it wasn't retconned in that way maybe I would have been like yes Sandman's a good choice for a villain in this one but because of the way they decided to do it it didn't work for me it really didn't mm-hmm. because it took away from the emotional storyline no that's that's completely fair I mean yeah if, if you take away the connection to Peter's uncle then Sandman would have, it would have been a, a terrible choice. You, you have to give, that, that's really important with antagonists, right? You have to give them some sort of personal connection to your protagonist. Yes. Like it, it's just, it's just gotta be there for the theme and the flow of that story to, to be effective, really. 
because at the end of the day, a lot of the times the objective of what your protagonist wants in a film, um, the antagonist is supposed to be the one that's blocking it, right? And sometimes huh? it's not necessarily a physical thing. It could be totally an emotional thing. Like they need to, and this makes maybe grieve or avenge Uncle Ben's death. Sure. But that was not the objective that was given to us up top, you know? And that's right. why it kind of was like, who are these characters as you're trying to figure out? And then the symbiote comes in and then Harry's uh, amnesia comes in and you're just like, what? <laughs> it's, it's too, it's, it's seemingly so random. There, there was no connection to it. And, and actually what you're saying kind of leads into kind of what, what I would prescribe, but I want to make sure you've had enough time to like, like, was there, is there anything else that you would prescribe to help kind of fix this movie? I would say I would kind of change up Harry's storyline in this one. Oh, I'm um, 100% in agreement with you on that one, but more on that later, folks. <laughs> tell me why. Tell you why. Okay, so I just think after the events of Spider-Man 2, Harry will continue to see visions of his father telling him to kill Peter Parker, right? Because the way that mm-hmm. the goblin is and stuff, Willem Dafoe, king, right? So Harry wants king. revenge for this, because I felt like a big theme of Spider-Man 3 was revenge. Mm-hmm. So it was on par. Like, okay, he wants to avenge his father's death. So Harry wants revenge for his father's death and decides to use Norman's unused advanced um, goblin formula. Uh-huh. The goblin formula, though, I think should have him have kind of lo- lose his mind slowly the way that his dad was losing his mind, becoming uh-huh. delusional. But because of the super formula, it becomes lethal to Harry. And okay. I think that way, spoiler alert, when he does die at the end of the film, I think it should be given with, because of the formula that he does, not because of the whole fight he has with Peter. You know, okay. Um, so that way, in the first half of the film, Peter doesn't want to fight Harry until the symbiote bonds with him, causing him to become more aggressive towards Harry and kind of launching this fight between it. And I think that way it could have been a great emotional thing or, or emotional arc for the whole symbiote part of the story in Venom, you know, mm-hmm. than just kind of dropping it in. But yeah, I actually, I actually really, really like that for reasons you'll you'll hear very shortly. Okay. And I mean, I guess my last thing would say, because I now I'm like changing up storylines and adding new things to it is like we were saying earlier, it's not necessarily that this film was horrible because every film is unique in its own way and works because I mean, unless your film has 0% on Rotten Tomatoes, then maybe we need to have a conversation, but this one did it, you know, so there were critics who loved it and fans of course are all over the place about it, but sure. if you wanted to really work in everything that this film had going for it properly fleshed out emotional arcs. I think that this film could have um, done, my prescription would be a, I don't know how to coin this term, but a uh, <laughs> two potteritis. No, that's not it. But like splitting the film up into two parts, the way that Deathly Hollows were, uh, Hunger Games was and stuff like that, because there was a lot to work with and it could have been done justice if it wasn't packed into a two hour and 20 minute film. Sure. That, that makes complete sense. But that's my solutions and stuff <laughs> great from a screenwriter and i guess i got into a little producing but you know yeah and that's a but but that's that's every element goes into making a film that's and true. while we're here to predominantly talk about the writing you know the, those elements are going to sneak in from time to time because there are things that that can't be controlled you know which you know for instance in spider-man 3 we we've found out after the fact that the producers actually were the reason behind the inclusion of Venom and the inclusion of Gwen Stacy specifically, right? So the writers had had to deal with that posthumously, in, in a sense. The story was created, and then they had to figure out how to 
and then Sam Raimi and I, his writing team, yeah, had to kind of retcon in a way, yeah, bring in those characters and change the plot up. So yeah. Well, yeah. how about you, Doctor John? What were what would you prescribe this film to kind of <laughs> fix it in a way, Doctor? Yeah. No, to, to, to script doctorate, uh, piggybacking kind of on what you said, I would go back to that theme that you were talking about, looking at the medical history of Spider-Man, right? One and two, each movie worked, it, like critically speaking, at least, and structurally speaking, whether you liked Spider-Man 2 or not is, is a different story, but... <laughs> Critically speaking, most people enjoyed it. And it's it's used often to talk about how sequels should be done. At least I have found in, in my circles, right? Yes. yes. With that assumption in mind, we look at how Spider-Man 1 and Spider-Man 2 are set up structurally speaking. Spider-Man 1 is all about Peter's relationship with himself. You know, his relationship with becoming Spider-Man. Uh, pictured beautifully in that scene where Green Goblin drops a school bus of kids and Mary Jane. Literally, he has to choose between his life, like his personal life and his superhero life. It's, it's, I love that scene for that exact yeah. reason, yeah. right? And then in Spider-Man 2, it's about Peter Parker's relationship with Mary Jane Watson. You can see it from the opening image and the closing image. It's all Mary Jane. And it's all about, do you have to give up your dreams for the thing you love most? You know, mm-hmm. that's, and even Doc Ock is related to that theme. It's, it's a great, yeah. it's a very well done movie. Yes. So to follow that same structure, because, you know, if there, if it's a healthy movie series, you, you should stick with what, what is there. And in this movie, I think was going to until a few things happened, but the, the core of this movie should be Peter's relationship with Harry Osborne. Yes. Yeah. You mentioned this in your prescription as well. And I think we're both completely in agreement there that that should have been more the focus of the movie. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. What I think really happened unfortunately is by giving this guy amnesia in the first like 20 minutes of the movie right you've kind of taken the legs out of uh out of the story because that should be you know that should that should be the heart of it where i really felt a, a heartbeat again in the movie was when he gets his memory back yeah he starts hallucinating and then what happens harry osborne starts you know, becoming what I call mastermind Harry. There's there's Green Goblin Harry and there's mastermind Harry and then there's friend Harry in, in my mind. <laughs> um, and Green Goblin is the one we see at the beginning. Rage fueled, I'm going to be the stereotypical villain and just attack you. And then there's friend Harry who we've seen in the first two. And then there's mastermind Harry who is cognizant and he's trying to destroy Peter's life systematically. Mm-hmm. Now, if we're trying to preserve this movie as is or as much as we can right Mm -hmm. um assuming that the producers did come down and say gwen stacy and venom both have to be in this movie i believe technically those could still be maintained if you feature mastermind harry a little bit more because tell me in your opinion dr john what would it do if you had harry osborne orchestrating things like the symbiote finding peter parker Peter Parker's reunion with his soft with his sophomore girlfriend Gwen Stacy, uh, Harry Osborn releasing the actual killer of Uncle Ben, right? Harry Osborn not, you know, you can even keep those scenes where he's bonding with MJ, right? No. But instead of having him have amnesia, he's doing it to manipulate 
Peter Parker. He's pretending to be this good guy so he can woo MJ so that they will break up, right? Mm-hmm. How would that land to you as, as an audience member seeing seeing something shift in that in that simple little tweak? I mean, it would play a lot to the theme of revenge because right. not just he's literally doing revenge or whatever, but it makes Harry a much more active character and mm-hmm. an active antagonist for us to kind of witness. But it also gives purpose, like you were saying, to the fact of why Sandman's in it. And even, okay, yeah, like symbiote crashes from space. But like you said, if Harry kind of orchestrated the symbiote being able to find Peter, he would think like this would destroy him physically or whatever. And then it kind of would blow up back in Harry's face when he realizes it would make Peter stronger. Right. You know, and I think it just, I think it would add more of an emotional oomph to Mm -hmm. the storyline. I agree. I like this. I did. Yeah. I did not think of it this way. Right. So really just if you take if you re-edit the movie and throw like completely cut out the amnesia stuff and just leave Harry manipulating and then add a few scenes where you bring in Sandman and you bring in Gwen Stacy, all these little subplots that were seemingly so random and it was so chocked full of all this random stuff. It suddenly becomes these little steps to a bigger master plan and they have a purpose. And so they don't need to be fleshed out as much Mm -hmm. because they're just steps in a plan. Right. And it wouldn't feel like over platomia. Exactly. It then becomes definitely a, a bigger like MDP case. Yes. Am I right? Yes. And that kind of could totally work with kind of my solution of wanting to potentially split it up into a two-part script or two-part movie. Mm-hmm. Where, like you said, you don't have to explore all these different plot lines as much because there's an actual purpose to them and there's an actual journey, even if it's a short couple pages or a couple mm-hmm. scenes worth. It still adds to the theme, it adds to the emotional oomph, it even adds to the action and makes right. things much more lively and active than the way that some things were portrayed in the film. Exactly. And I think even um, this, the, another case for MDP, like another symptom that I found was, did, did you hate, <laughs> not hate, that's a strong word, but Peter Parker <laughs> in the beginning, pre-symbiote, right? Kisses Gwen Stacy on that stage. Okay, that I have an issue with that scene because it was not, what's the word? Not warranted. It's not. It, w- it was unwarranted. Unwarranted. That was what I'm trying to say. There's a better word for it where <laughs> like it happened and I'm like, no, no, you don't, you can't do this. Like the writers, you cannot, you don't, you did not earn that moment, you know, because it comes out of the blue. Comes out of the blue. Peter's acting so selfishly, almost from page one of this, of, of this script. And it's so uncharacteristic of the Peter we have seen in the past exactly. two movies, right? Exactly. You know, I was like, I'm sorry, your girlfriend literally just got really bad reviews in her first Broadway debut. And you're like, that's fine, girl. I'm gonna go make out with this other girl on stage because no one's gonna find out except you. Like, what? <laughs> like, what rational human being? It just, it makes no sense. Like, no, <laughs> unless, here's my, here's my pitch. Here's Fix my prescription. That, Take the scene where Spider-Man bonds with the symbiote. Okay. Put it instead of where the new goblin attacks him for the first uh-huh. time. Uh-huh. So Peter is bonded with the symbiote from like the first 20 minutes yes, and it's yes. bringing out his darker side. Yes. And then suddenly the kiss makes sense. Yes. Suddenly his self-absorbedness makes sense. Yes. Yes. Right. It was all right there. It just needs that re-edit. The symbiote just needs to get on that man's body sooner. Yeah. I, I just want to scream. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> yes, that would help. I mean, little, these are little story things, but when you really look in the, like, at the script and what it's doing structurally, it really is just creating more of an emotional arc for these different characters, but Mm -hmm. also it plays back to the theme of revenge. 
because it could totally mm-hmm. have made MJ be more of an active character because it's like, we, of course she's upset, right? Like who wouldn't sure. be able to see that? But I felt like she was a very passive upset character throughout the film, you know? But if it was, if they decided to make her a little bit more active in the way that she's kind of not getting revenge on Peter for that, but dealing with it, and then Gwen right. Stacy's character coming in, because then also you had Gwen Stacy's character coming in who happened to be the girlfriend of um, Eddie Brock. And you're just like, dear God. Like it's not, <laughs> at that point, it wasn't even a love triangle. It was like two triangles, like coming like this, you know, right. like intertwined triangles where you're like, what is going on here? For those of you listening on the podcast, I wish you could see what John was <laughs> just trying to do with his hands. It was like the version of Itsy Bitsy Spider, but like, you know. <laughs> To theme the female with the Spider-Man. I don't know if there's a mathematical term, but in the medical world, we don't have one for two intertwining love triangles. We'll have to come up with it, Dr. John. Oh man, yeah, that that whew, that, that, that might that might be for bigger men. Than <laughs> we, we'll try our best. We'll try our best. But all to say, I agree with your prescription. And I in fact think that if we incorporate some of what I said with the Harry storyline, based mm-hmm. on where you're coming at it from, from especially from the beginning, you know. Because right. Like you said, a lot of it is there. It's just really nitty gritty of the structure of replacing scenes here and there mm-hmm. and crafting more of an emotional story arc, even for Harry. That did not exactly go amnesia for half the film. And you're like, great. What? <laughs> right. Completely. And then think how powerful that would be. Even if like, like hypothetically, let's say we had to keep all the scenes, scenes the same. How powerful would that sacrifice scene be at the end? If, if the whole movie, he had been seeking revenge on his best friend and then boom, in that moment, he, he finally like forgives. Oh, powerful. And kind of what we were going back to with our screenwriting term of the, of the day or of the episode, really with the antagonist, it, yes, he, Harry serves as an antagonist because he's in Peter's, he's a, wow, he is Peter's obstacle for his objective, <laughs> right? Right. But when we're imbuing all this emotion in him and really giving Harry a strong emotional arc where you as a viewer understand where he's coming from because of the first two films and what Peter Mm -hmm. has done to his father, where in some ways you're like, I understand why Harry wants revenge on Peter. Yes, he's going about it by very villainous ways. Great. (laughs) But then by the end, it's an earned death moment when he does kind of admit and forgive Peter, but also Peter forgives him in that beautiful moment of when they're holding each other, you know? Absolutely. I agree with you that it would add all this emotional. I would be crying left and right oh, on that scene. Right. I'll tell you. Well, and that's what's so interesting about movies and why I love it is sometimes it just comes down to like you we wouldn't think that putting five pages here or here would make that, that much of a difference, yeah. but look what difference that can make. You have to be so intentional. Whoa, intentional. Is that a new word? No. <laughs> yes, that, that's a medical word, intentionable. Intentionable. Love it. <laughs> But you have to be very intentional about where you put your scenes because it can either make or break your movie. Totally. And a misplaced scene, uh, that is, you know, it caused a lot of health problems in this in this movie, or several, you know. And I want to digress real quick, if I may, Dr. John. You may. I would give you permission. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Based off what you just said with kind of the scene structure in terms of just moving things around, like beat-wise, I guess we could talk, say. Yeah. Um, writer, director, oh, dang it. The guy who made three bill three billboards in Ebbing, Missouri, the uh, Francis McDormand won an Oscar for that. He was he wrote the film and he directed it, right? So it's his vision coming to life. He mm-hmm. had said in an interview that when it came together to cutting the film in the editing room, there were certain beats he switched around, aka scenes he switched around, that mm-hmm. all of a sudden added much more 
of a stronger emotional arc for Francis McDormand's character. And he said, it was amazing to me because I'm the writer, so I would have been able to pick it up by just seeing the note cards and moving things around. But sometimes, like you were saying, when a film does come together, it's important for all the, like the producers, the director to kind of bring their vision to it. He did not realize that until it was in the editing room and all it took was just shifting one scene from um, like the first half of act two to the second half of act two. And it mm. really created a stronger emotional arc for Francis McDormand's character. Okay. And again, like you were saying, it can just sometimes come down to the um, the nitty gritty of the scenes. How are the scenes being laid out? Right. Oh, no, I love that. That's a great example of what could have happened in a different world. In a different world. And I think the director and- was Ian McDonald, just so I can quote him. McDonough. Ian McDonough, I think. Nice. <laughs> good, good name drop. There we go. <laughs> and, and, and that that to be said, you know, movies are inherently good most of the time. They just need those. They just need those things every once in a while, which is why we're here. Exactly. To doctor them. To doctor them on air. We love this. We love this. Yes. Speaking of, how about the amazing Spider-Man 2? Because we're doing a double we're doing a double diagnosis today. We are because, I mean, uh, the, those Spider-Man 3 and the amazing Spider-Man 2 were the respective endings of those incarnations of Spider-Man. And mm. we have. And we're both respectively poorly received. <laughs> exactly, you know. And you have the the third in the trilogy that we just got, No Way Home, which I don't know if it's confirmed to be Tom Holland's last, but I'm sure he'll make more. I think he'll make more. But point is, it's the end of a trilogy. Right. And it was the opposite. It was critically acclaimed. And the fact that there was even Best Picture Oscar buzz for it. So we thought we'd go back and doctor these two together because why yeah. not, right? It seems like the right time for it. All I can say is... Uh, my first diagnosis would be the title. Mm. Take the word amazing out. <laughs> oh, wow. Low blow, Dr. John. That was, that was a shot fired in Queens or wherever <laughs> Parter, Peter, Peter Parker's from. Um, but no, how about you start with your diagnosis on this one since I started last time? I'll do you one better. I'll start with a summary. Oh, see, I completely, wow. I just got ahead of myself. <laughs> I just, I did not like this movie so much that I wanted to rewrite the title. <laughs> Anyways, yes, Dr. John, please give us a summary of The Amazing Spider-Man 2 by Mark Webb. Happy happy to do it. So, summary for this one. Yes. Uh, fighting crime and protecting New York City is a dangerous full-time job, and Peter Parker finds himself bound by his promise to Stacy's late father to leave his daughter, Peter's girlfriend, Gwen, out of this life. Struggling to stand by his word despite his feelings for Gwen, Peter must also deal with the rise of a new supervillain, Electro. But when his old friend Harry returns to New York to say goodbye to his dying father, the two friends begin uncovering the secrets of their interconnected pasts. Will Peter be able to help his friend save the city and get the girl? Mm. 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 You'll have to watch it to find out. And if you haven't watched <laughs> it, go watch it so this podcast will make sense. <laughs> there we go, right, yeah. Um, I mean, there's just a lot to unpack in this particular film as well. You, you can even tell just based on that summary, there's a, <laughs> I mean, you can tell when you're summarizing it and you, you it's like, wow, that's a lot. Yes. You, you, you know, there are, <laughs> there are, there are possibly things you should look at. Yes. Yes. And I think the, the diagnosis that I'm leaning towards in, in this one is, um, and correct me if I pronounce this wrong, because we've, cl- we have, Established that we are terrible at pronunciation. <laughs> These medical terms. <laughs> they're, they're over our heads, people. Uh, the I would I would diagnose it with hypothemension. Theme mention, excuse me. That, that sounded correct to me, Dr. John. 
Oh, good. <laughs> and uh, hypo cemention is uh, the lack of a sufficient amount of theme. Is that, is that a good way to describe it? Or there's the low, very low levels of it within the movie or in the body. Not to say that it's not present. Yes. Yeah. Right. It exists, but just not in a strong dose, whether in the film at large or even just in the scenes, because you should always have your theme being played in every scene, usually. Exactly. Everything should tie back to the theme. So if, if you have low levels of that, you're probably going to suffer from hypothemension. Yes. Right. So, so you agree with that? Where, where would you say yeah. that that happens in, in The Amazing Spider-Man 2 or just The Spider-Man 2, I guess, by your titles? <laughs> I know, right? The Spider-Man, the Spider-Man. Spider-Man Two. Differentiate it from Spider-Man Two. Uh, um, Sam Sam Raimi's Spider-Man Two. Um, I don't know. I just felt like so for me, and you might have a different opinion on it, but the theme of the film for me was obsession. Interesting. Okay, I I have a differing diagnosis, but, but continue. I'm I'm interested in this. And like it's obsession and just being blinded by it that kind of causes you to act out and do certain things that you would normally not do out of your character you know or mm. out of your character so like there's the there's the plot line with peter that he's obsessed with figuring out who his parents were and what they did and like why they died right then mm -hmm. there's harry's obsession with the truth there's electro's obsession with power and respect and it for all three of those characters who i would argue are really kind of the crux and the ones that are driving the story forward it causes them to forget about the things that they do have in their life and it causes them to lose themselves, you know, which is great. Like, that's where I think the theme was leading to. The execution, though, was not there because every, a lot of the scenes with these different characters, because you have scenes where it's just Peter, you have scenes where it's huh? just Electro, you have just scenes where it's um, Harry. Right. They weren't being driven by the theme of obsession. Like sometimes it was just kind of like, we need to get exposition across. We need to get this across more, you know. And sure. I don't know if you felt this way about this incarnation, uh, Andrew Garfield's version of Spider-Man, but I felt like he was out of the spider suit a lot more than Garfield, Holland or Maguire's characters, which sometimes I'm like, okay, at this point, I feel like it's a Peter Parker narrative than it is a Spider-Man narrative. And I think, yeah, I think that's where it really lost a lot of its footing because they could not walk that fine line. Because again, it was, let's dive into Peter's past rather than Spider-Man's past. And they forgot that. And I felt mm. like because of that, Max felt very off as a character, as an antagonist for Peter, because he was more obsessed with Spider-Man. And Harry was obsessed with Spider-Man, but most of the time you're just getting Peter. <laughs> right. There's no Spider-Man. Everyone's obsessed with Spider-Man, but there's no Spider-Man. There's no Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's kind of where I would come at it from, from oh. for a beginning perspective. But that is, that is such an interesting <laughs> take on the theme. I hadn't even thought about that, but I think you may have nailed right on the head what the creative team there was going for. I hadn't even pieced that together because in my head, as I'm looking at this, this patient thinking, <laughs> what is electro multi-million dollar patient, by the way? <laughs> yeah. Our jobs are on the line. Let me tell you what. <laughs> I, I just could not get over. I couldn't find a connection with electro. No, that, like with, with Max's character. I was like, what is he, what is he doing in this movie? Because the theme as I was seeing it was, um, loss and um yes you know move and moving on yes but I, I think those themes are both present so that would also you know i mean that might be a slightly different diagnosis than if it if the movie couldn't quite decide what theme it was going to follow um but if you're going to include electro 
the theme of obsession is definitely the way to go. It's the only theme I've even heard of that somehow connects us to. That's a brilliant diagnosis on your part, Dr. John. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I will tell my alma mater that I'm a genius. <laughs> like, I'll tell your alma mater that you're a genius. My alma mater is my dad, so I'll give you his number. <laughs> I'm not even scared. I'll do it. I'll do it tonight. <laughs> That's interesting because you're right, though, with the last theme, that is very prevalent there. And it's there. I mean, because again, um, with, I mean, I don't want to keep saying spoiler alert because you should watch these movies by now, but I mean, the ultimate spoiler or not spoiler, the ultimate death or loss in the film and the end is Gwen. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, and I don't think that was earned. I, and I would, uh, I'm, I'm on the fence about that one. Fight me, um, no. <laughs> I, I'm not, I got my fisticuffs ready. I'm ready to fight. Doctors get bloody. Here we go. No. <laughs> I mean, that, I guess that's more of a prescription thing, but let's just go back mm -hmm. to the diagnosis of, yeah, the theme of loss is there, but uh, like, again, kind of with what I was saying with obsession, I don't think it was prominent in a lot of the character arcs. Agreed. And it, and it makes, a, it actually would make a ton of sense if those were the two competing themes. It would make sense why in our initial diagnosis, we're seeing low levels of theme because the theme is being split, mm -hmm. you know, um, because it's not just loss, but it's the moving on from that loss. You know, Harry loses his father. He's trying to move on. Peter's lost his parents. He's trying to move on. Um, at the end, losing Gwen, trying to move on. That's why in my initial diagnosis, I was like, what is Electra doing here? He's not moving on from anything. Yeah. That's why I kind of like your obsession one. But again, competing themes can also lead to registering as low levels yes. themes, right? Yes. Because you're, you're not serving both enough to really make them prominent, you know? Exactly. You need to stick to one and really ram it home. And not to say that certain movies can't have like a sub theme related to it, sure. so, but I just think the way that they approached it with obsession and loss is they didn't connect. Agreed. You know, it could totally have been like you were saying, it's a theme of exploring loss and them grieving, but it's because of their obsession with something else that they lost this thing. Yes. They didn't do that though. Mm -hmm. you know? No, they, they didn't, unfortunately. And like you said, that's why it felt like two competing themes from two different tracks. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to just launch into my prescription then, because I feel like your prescription is going to be more on what the film actually needs <laughs> based on your diagnosis. Please do, please for, do doctor. For, for me, the first thing that I'm going to rec recommend is an electroectomy. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. I just, I just want electro out of that thing because I don't think he was the right, based on my diagnosis, I don't think he was the right antagonist for that film because what i would suggest is like you mentioned earlier peter parker it, it's basically the peter the amazing peter parker yeah. not the amazing spider-man there's very little spider-man and watching that movie the only reason i felt like they included electro is so that spider-man could have someone to punch right because we take out electro how much time is spider-man spider-man almost not in it at all yeah he has that one scene where he's Spider-Man for Electro and the one scene where he's Spider-Man for Harry. And I guess Spider-Man in the beginning fighting Rhino, but that's all the Spider-Man you essentially get. Right. So taking away Electro and if, if I'm just trying to embrace what, what they've given us, right. Then you need a villain who's going to complicate the relationship between Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy. Mm-hmm. Right now, this is this is getting a little out of my area of expertise, so I hesitate to say this, but I'm going to give an example. Yes, please. <laughs> there, there's a villain in the Spider-Man universe called the Chameleon. Okay. 
he is essentially a master of disguise who can make himself look like anyone, right? Chameleon. Chameleon. And he potentially could have been a better villain than Electro if he comes in and impersonates the people that everyone has lost. For instance, Captain, Captain Stacy, Peter's father, Peter's mother, like these people, right? <laughs> Trying to find my dollar bills. Dr. John, take my freaking money. Stop. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> because Captain Stacy's already in the movie, right? He's already hallucinating. Yes. Right? That, yes. He's all over the place. You a could ghost. even put him as potentially an antagonist down because he's there throughout the whole movie. So what if you just take that a step further and make him actually be able to physically interact with Peter's life and actually be able to say to Peter as a physical human, what are you doing? Right? Bringing up that past and manipulating him. Then you can get him then it feels like a spider-man film even if he's not in the suit because you understand there's a spider-man villain fighting peter parker at, yeah. because peter parker is spider-man like it, it, it it's kind of like a fancy operation workaround <laughs> so yeah. that's why i was hesitant to bring it up well one second one second marvel yes this is dr john cowie uh dr john cooper would like to get hired because i think he just broke ground on this amazing spider-man Oh, you'll hire him? Great. Okay, thank you. So I just got you a meeting with Marvel. <laughs> wow. Was it that easy this whole time? What have you been holding out on me for three years? What can I say? I mean, all it took was you to pitch a beautiful fix for The Amazing Spider-Man 2. <laughs> and here's why I freaking love that idea, if I may. Okay, yeah, please do. I'm a huge fan of psychological thrillers for me mm-hmm. as a theme. But more so, really, when it comes down to characters, and I think this comes from our acting background, it's always getting into the head of these characters, you know? So mm-hmm. it's always more fun for me to witness or watch a film in which these characters don't necessarily break down psychologically, but where you mess with their psyche. And because yes. of that, they make these irrational decisions or active choices that causes these different and unique obstacles and uh, things to happen in their way or conflicts, you know? Sure. So if you had a villain like Chameleon who is embodying these people he's lost, like what if he comes in, not just as um, Captain Stacy, but his parents even? Where sure. he's searching for that, right? It could like screw up his mind that he starts to act out in certain ways that then maybe causes like you know the formation of Electro. Not that we need him, but just you sure. know whatever. But or even like Rhino or even Harry, like coming back to the idea of Harry in the film, different things that then it's like okay, everything becomes more earned. Everything mm-hmm. has more of an emotional oomph and an arc to it than just. Yeah, I, we need a supervillain for him to just punch up because we need Spider-Man in the film. So that's why, like, when you said that, I'm like, I don't know. I know our listeners on the podcast can't see my face, but I literally was like, God drop. <laughs> but yes, I like this diagnosis, uh, or sorry, uh, prescription to fix the diagnosis of um, hypothymension. Oh, well, th- well, thank you. I, I thought it was sufficient because for me, a lot of the emotional beats actually really landed. I love the, because that was the best part of the first Amazing Spider-Man for me was that relationship between Andrew Garfield and Gwen Stacy. Those are the wrong names. Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, sorry, Andrew, or no, no. Peter Parker and Emma Stone, right? Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) Um, I I really enjoyed their relationship. And so seeing them struggle through number two was very fulfilling for me. I, I love watching their relationship. So then just emphasize leaning into that a little bit more i think would have fixed it for me that's i didn't need much i don't know what i would have done with harry that that's why i that's why i geeked out about your obsession theme 
Um, then that's why I want, I want you to expand. Tell me your prescription because I don't know what to do with Harry. He's kind of just there <laughs> in, in my fix. So well, tell me what your prescription is. Well, just to go off of Harry, what I would change or prescribe in this film is I don't think we need the arc of him becoming the goblin in this film. Amen. Amen. You know, I think instead of dying of a disease in this film, Harry should be trying to learn more about Norman and the Parker's history, especially how that's introduced up top, you know, and Mm -hmm. just like Peter, going back to the obsession theme, he becomes more desperate compared to Peter because of kind of the legacy that he's holding compared to Parker and is willing to do more questionable stuff to learn the truth. Hence the obsession with the truth, you know, Uh. and this reshaped version of what I would do, I'd have it so that Norman was on the same plane as the Parkers. I would not have him have died with the same disease. So you'd have him actually die in that plane and not, not have like the, not have the weird goblin disease. No, no. Like maybe he does. I forget what they did on the first one. I haven't seen the first one in a while, but like if it (laughs) needs to be continued, sure he has it. But I think it would have been, especially because the beauty of, harry and uh peter's kind of relationship it's very brotherly very and so if both of their parents happen to die in the same plane crash and you kind of witness them both um dealing with this grief or this loss as you will in different ways Uh but again harry takes over oscorp because of the father's death right he has more pressure on him than it does peter who's just nobody to the world because it hasn't been discovered that he's spider-man yet you know Mm -hmm. Um, and that's why, like, Electro, like you said, sure, it was beautiful CGI. Don't get me wrong. I love eating Sure, Didn't have much of an oomph to it. Um, where that's why it's like, if you dug into more of Harry's storyline than that, and didn't really go, we need to make him the Goblin as quick as possible. Right. Which, again, I know we're, we're doctoring the script <laughs> and stuff, but this is where sometimes the, I wish, this is why I think screenwriters should become producers. Because... I know the reason why they wanted to rush him becoming Goblin was because they had the spinoff of the Sinister Six coming down the line. So they needed to happen before Spider-Man 3. Well, you kind of screwed it up, I felt like, you know. (laughs) (laughs) It was misplaced. Exactly. Because look at the Sam Raimi one. It took a trilogy, like three films for Harry to really embody Green Goblin after his own father died. And I mean, I will die on the hill that Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin is the best Green Goblin. He could hate crime me oh. and I would be fine with it. Like, that is how much I love Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin, okay? That might be a hot take. But no offense. That's saying something, folks. That, that, is, that is saying something. I, we don't, I mean, I, I have issues, okay? I mean, watching him come back in No Way Home, it did some things to me, Dr. Cooper. It did some things to me. I was like, okay, Willem, okay. Okay, Dr. Okay, John, it, it came, it got to us all. Let's, let's, let's be honest. I cried. I cried. I was like, yes. <laughs> um, but no, like, again, just to add more of an emotional arc, don't, you didn't need to rush Harry's storyline in that one, I felt like. Nope, I agree. And I, I'm actually obsessed with your fix on this one because it, and also weirdly enough, they almost like our, our prescriptions could almost be taken together without, yes, yes. right? Because that, that fixes what Harry I had no idea what Harry was doing, but then Harry and Peter can go on that journey, discovering Peter's past together. Right. And he, he can be the missing piece that Peter never had to be able to uncover his past versus just throwing a calculator against the wall and then discovering the past. Yes. Right. And it, it, it gives it more emotional, like, like you were saying, emotional oomph. And then to be able to see their different reactions 
to the same information yes. would have been tremendously powerful. Yes. And here's another little thing that I would have thought about kind of it. This stems, I think, from um, Hypo they mentioned too, is the little subplots they gave random characters in the film. For example, mm-hmm. Aunt May. Like, I could understand why Aunt May was obsessed with her wanting to become a nurse because she needs to provide for her and her Peter and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But she could have totally been a strong vessel and much more of a powerful character in this incarnation of her. If, for example, Peter went to her and was asking for like, well, you got to give me details of my parents. And she's hiding things, hiding secrets that she doesn't want Peter to know. Absolutely. You know? And it may be in Peter's arc then, Aunt May plays a much more powerful role. And I only think of this now because of how much I loved um, Melissa Tamai's version of Aunt May in this incarnation, oh. especially in No Way Home. The way, like, because of her and the theme of that film was the reason why she, I don't want to keep saying spoiler, but spoiler, she ended up dying, but right. also set up the whole entire film, you know? And right. I thought that was great. And then this one, I love Sally Fields. I love her. But mm-hmm. I felt I felt the script did not give Aunt May justice in this version. Agreed. We don't want to talk about the Aunt May from the, tr- the original trilogy because I thought she was great for what the way that Sam Raimi wrote her. You know, like she didn't exactly. But this one, Sally Fields could have been that um, much more of a bigger role in the obsession theme. That way, like you were saying, if you had both of them trying to discover this truth, each one has a different obstacle and each one has a different purpose. You know, right. and maybe Peter's like, well, I don't want to piss off Aunt May. Well, whatever. But then freaking Norman, or sorry, Harry, has that the stress of I'm the leader of Oscorp now. I need to figure out what happened, what they were doing, you know? Right. So again, these different balances that then in the third film or whatever, or even maybe towards the end of this, it kind of clicks and they become equal setting where Harry did come at it as an antagonistic point, whereas uh, Peter came at it as a protagonistic point, you know? Yeah. I, I love it. I, I think that would have stripped like those two, those two prescriptions, take two doses of those and sleep through the night, get some rest and you'll be healed in the morning. Exactly. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I really think Sonny should like be listening to this episode and call I us up. So. <laughs> like we're, we're available. I, I don't know if, it, if you're listening, click on our, <laughs> click on our email, email us. You're just a text. We're exactly. <laughs> we're exactly. And just to say, if you are listening to this podcast, please, we are open to, to read your stuff too. Yes. Th- this, we don't just want to do this with big budget stuff. Our goal is to help all writers and all creators on all different levels to write the best script that they can, that they can, and that is, is capable. And, you know, as, as you'll see, we'll try to keep the integrity of, of your piece as, as, as well as we can, but we would love to receive your stuff and we would love to work with you. So hit us up. We're, we're here. We're ready. Yes, comment in the YouTube. Um, uh-huh. Comment on our podcast, Instagrams. Subscribe to both. Subscribe to both. And even if you have, excuse me, a script you want looked at by either Dr. John C or Dr. John A, or even a script that is of an actual professional film that's been done and you want our perspective on it, you know, mm-hmm. comment that. And also please email us at thejohns.scriptdoctors at gmail.com. Enough said. We can't wait to hear from y'all. I, unless you have something else to say, but I feel like that pretty much that wraps up our medical day. Uh, I think so. And uh, that was so tiring. Uh, we, geeked out. Go. we geeked out quite a bit though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> Is there a prescription to geeking out too much? I wonder. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, hmm, we'll have to come up with that. Pitch I it next know. time. Rewatch the Spider-Mans and envision our fixes 
on the screen. Yes, there you go. <laughs> or someone get us a re-edited version of Spider-Man 3 with those fixes. I'd be so interested to watch that. There you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway. Words till next um fix doctoring. I don't know what verb we would like to <laughs> Yeah, till 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 our next session. There we go. That's what doctors say. <clears throat> yeah. Tor- You tried so hard, man. So hard. So- and I still want to say towards our next session. Okay, here we go. Here we go. <clears throat> you got this. Tell our next session. I'm Dr. John C. And I'm Dr. John A. And we are the Script Doctors. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Script Doctors. If you have a story that could use a little script doctor magic, you can contact us at thejohns.scriptdoctors at gmail.com. We'll help you diagnose what your script is suffering from and give you our recommended prescriptions for how to cure it at a cost that you can actually afford. But we do not accept insurance. Yeah, we don't do that. But make sure to follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok as well, at The Script Doctors. In the meantime, be sure to do your writing exercises and give your scripts plenty of thematic vitamins. Paging the Dr. Johns. You're needed in the ER immediately. Not another flop. Come on, Dr. John. We gotta go. See you next time.